and welcome to episode 57 of Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. And today we are going to be discussing in the first half of our episode, um, do you save or don't you save? Not in terms of money, (laughs) but in terms of authors. So if you find an author that you like, do you want to read them all at once or do you want to store them up and uh, read them over a long period of time so as not to run out? Um, and in the second half, we are going to be comparing two murder mystery books. Um, the first very recent publication, and which I understand from frustrating comment, frustrated comments <laughs> on my blog, isn't actually out in America yet. So apologies to America. Is it not? Okay. It's not, but it will be later this year, I believe. So it's not too long to wait. Um, it's the... Um, the Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, or in America, it's going to be called The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. Oh. I don't, I don't know why. Um, by Stuart Turton, and the the famous Agatha Christie novel, uh, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. So a classic, and what might become a new classic. So um, Simon, how are you? What are you reading? I'm very well, thank you. Um, I, I think we should probably say from the off that I haven't swapped Rachel for some sort of wizened crone. <laughs> she does have. <laughs> I've sa- got a horrible cold. Sadly ill, but it's, you know, powering on because she, you yes. know, podcast means so much. That sounded <laughs> fake, but it was real, I'm sure. No, it was real. <laughs> um, I'm good. I just, I've just come back from Bristol today where I was at a Eurovision party. Of course you were. Yeah. I, ha- I read all about this today, the controversial microphone stealing. Yeah, so. In case there's anyone who li- um, who listens who isn't au fait with the Eurovision Song Contest, it's where all the <laughs> countries across Europe and for some reason Australia, um, <laughs> yeah, as of the last few years, um, contribute a song um, and they vote on who's the best. <laughs> None of them are very good. None of them are the best. The whole thing's ridiculous, but but it's also brilliant. And and most people just vote for whichever country they border, and everyone hates the UK, so we yeah. do really badly, particularly post Brexit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and yes, this year someone stormed the stage during Suri's song, um, which was a blessing, to be honest. But um, oh. I thought we might get pity votes for that because she did a very good job at you know carrying on and. I don't really know why anybody from Britain enters it anymore because it's all just a bit of a laughing stock, isn't it? Yeah, we went through a period of entering people who used to be famous, like yeah. Bonnie Tyler and Blue, and hoping that Europe still yeah. loved them. Turns out they didn't. <laughs> so, yeah. No, not the thing is, nobody likes us, so we're never going to get any votes, even if we are actually good. Yeah. So why why risk it? <laughs> but, <laughs> but we've paid enough money to Eurovision that we get to go straight to the final every year. <laughs> so, yeah. But I love it. Moldova's was the best one. I can't re- can't remember what the song was, but the you know, but the staging was done like as some sort of French farce, and it was great. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, but the winner was Israel, which was a woman pretending to be Japanese singing how she wasn't a boy's toy. It was all very odd. Right. Anyway, um, <laughs> I am reading um, <laughs> Kamchatka by Marcelo Figueras. Um, yeah, which is a book is this- group. I was going to say, is this for one of your challenges? But no. Yeah, well, it does fit in with Century of Books. It was published in, I think, 2003. But um, it is very good. I, it's not often now that I, I like books that book groups suggest. I've had a quite, a, quite a poor streak. But this one I'm really enjoying. It's about um, uh, a child in uh, Buenos Aires during the coup d'etat of the 1970s. Um, 
And he's obsessed with risk, which is where Kamchatka comes into it. He's also obsessed with Superman and Harry Houdini. But, wow. Um, it's quite good for me who knows very little about Argentina in the 1970s or indeed at any other period. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and because it's, because it's from the point of view of a child, um, who also doesn't quite know what's going on, um, as he's learning about it, so am I. <laughs> um, but it's very engagingly written. Um, and, yeah, um, looking forward to discussing it on Wednesday. Um, how about you? What are you reading? Did you get much read on your holiday? No, I didn't actually. So I've just got back from um, a few days in Cape Cod and New York, um, where I went for a friend's wedding. Um, and it was a big reunion of friends from years ago. And so I didn't really have any time to do any reading. I was too busy talking endlessly. Um, and having lots of fun on the beach. I'm oh, sad lovely. to be back. Um, and my work very kindly gave me some days off. Um, so obviously, it's not school holidays at the moment. And friends will be so inconvenient as to get married when it's not school holidays. <laughs> Rude. Um, so it was a very flying visit. And I then, on the way back on the plane, um, developed this cold, which was brilliant. Um, but I am, well, I'm a bit frustrated at the moment because I'm halfway through The Mermaid and Mrs. Hancock mm. um, by Imogen Hermes Gower, I think that's how you say her name, um, which is very good and I'm enjoying it a lot. But I've had to stop because um, I've realised that I'm perilously close to my first dissertation hand in date and mm. have written nothing <laughs> and know nothing about my topic and indeed still haven't quite found out what I'm writing about. So. Um, I'm now frantically reading lots of books about the Brontes. So I'm halfway through Claire Harmon's biography of Charlotte Bronte, which I've just read this morning, um, which is brilliant, actually. Highly recommended. She's a very um, good writer, isn't she? Very good. I've just steamed my way through Jane Eyre, and I'm now nearly at the end of Villette. So it's all just Bronte going on over here, which is never <laughs> a bad thing. Never a yeah, bad so you can thing. cope with that, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> If someone wants to give me a, you know, a topic or a title, that would be much appreciated. <laughs> Any suggestions, send them on through. What's, what, what sort of ballpark are you looking for? Well, at the moment, I'm looking at religion and coincidence and patriarchy, um, general mm. ideas, yeah. Could, I remember could, during could... my undergraduate degree, my friend Phoebe asking... I was coming into my room and thinking, I need to write about Iris Murdoch, and I didn't know what to write about. At that point, I hadn't read any Iris Murdoch, but I was of the firm belief that you could pick any two abstract nouns and then write an essay about them, so I gave her <laughs> Photography and Opacity, which she did indeed write about Photography and Opacity in Iris Murdoch, so there you go. You should write about uh, wow. temerity and inconsequence. <laughs> so there you go. Great, thanks, Simon. You're welcome. <laughs> I'll get a, I'll get a, a, a distinction with that, no problem. <laughs> um, I didn't get a distinction on my masters, so you're not coming to the right person. Well, this is the problem. I should get one if I can get, if I just need to make sure I continue and get one in this dissertation. So I've got one on everything else so far. But, All right, calm down. <laughs> well, it's important to me. I've worked too hard for this. Um, so, first topic was Rachel's suggestion, drumroll. <laughs> um, I know. <laughs> uh, which I can't remember how you to save or not to save. You said yes. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's also yeah to binge or not to binge that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, this to save or to binge. <laughs> yeah. There's many ways of phrasing it. But um, did you have any authors who came to mind when you were thinking about it? Well, I thought actually I was thinking in general just about myself and 
about how I approach reading. And I was thinking, do I ever do this where I read everybody all at once? And I don't think I've ever done it. Even with with people that I've read and discovered for the first time and thought, oh, I absolutely love this. For some reason, I've I've never... Then I mean I've often gone out and bought all their books, which I'm, sure, which is yeah. something that you you can understand. Um, but then not actually read them, and I think it's a combination of fear that the others aren't going to be as good, hmm. and also fear of running out and not having something new to enjoy. Especially when the authors are dead as well. Yes, of course. Yes, or if they weren't very pr- prolific. Yes. Um, I I definitely used to do it a lot more than I do now. But I think particularly when I was first developing my taste, um, when I was making that transition from teenage books to adult books, because I just didn't know that many authors that I liked. So when I first read A. Milne and E.M. Delafield and Richmond Crompton, I just bought as many as I could and then read them because there was nothing else waiting on my TBR shelves because I didn't have TBR shelves back when I was, you know, <laughs> 16, 17. Um, and I, I don't know, I just had, obviously had more of a tolerance then for that doing that sort of thing as well because the reason I don't do it now, even if, like you, I go and buy them all, <laughs> um, is because normally when I'm picking a book to read, I just want something different from what I've just read. Mm. Um, and... I'll generally have some sort of sense of what you, you want to read next in, like, I think, oh, I want to read something modern or not modern or fiction or non-fiction or, I was going to say long or short, I never want to be, read something long. Every now and then, I think I'll get one of my long books there. Um, and then, yeah, I, I just, now, particularly now I've got all my books with me, I'll just go through the shelves until I pick something up. And like, oh, yes, actually, that suits the mood I'm in now, I think, if I know enough about the book to make that sort of decision. But... Yes, generally when I've finished a book, I thought that's that author done for the next six months at least, and then we'll see where we are <laughs> with them yeah. later. Um, and there's some authors, I think, who it's quite detrimental to read lots in a row. I don't know if you have any um, ideas there but or anything you uh, would agree with there, but people like Ivy Contra-Burnett and Charles Dickens and P.G. Woodhouse, who I think is very stylized authors, um, and I love all of their styles, but I think... I can't read them back to back. I think um, too much of a good thing and all that sort of, you know, <laughs> um, or they just all blur into one, I guess. Yeah, I think there are some authors who you definitely don't want to read back to back, you know, especially people who write very long books. You know, you need a break after something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think, again, there are lots of authors who write very similar stories and, I think, for example, if you read all of Jane Austen back to back, you might start mm. getting confused between books because, you know, a lot of them do have the same names and, you know, things like that. I think, I mean, obviously I wouldn't get confused. But, yeah, of course. <laughs> and I think there are certain types of perhaps comfort read authors who tend to tread the same um same kind of plot lines and are set in the same places and things like that and you know, for example, I really enjoy the misread books, but I, I wouldn't read one after another after another after another because that would just be like eating 20 chocolate bars in one go. Yeah. I, that could be too much. Yes, that was too. In fact, was one of the people I was going to suggest might um, might suffer that way. Uh, and yes, growing up, I certainly did. Like, I just read all the Inner Blighton I could get my hands on and then yeah. one point horror and all that sort of thing. So I was very happy to be in one world. So maybe it's a sign of 
I guess it's a sign of widening tastes um, in that, you know, you, yeah, the more different things I read, the more I... I guess, in, in some extent, I, I the more I read, the more I know what I like, but also th- that turns out to be more things than I originally thought, so, um, so I'm happy to delve in different places at different times. And, you know, whilst doing something like a century of books, obviously that means I have to dart all over the century. I can't... This, I don't think there's any author who has written a book every year of the 20th century, although perhaps <laughs> there's some very <laughs> unlikely person out there who has done that. Um, but... Yes. Um, how are you finding reading lots of Brontes at once? In term, in term, or, or I guess you're reading them a bit differently because it's not just for pleasure. But No. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm actually, I've got to the point now where I'm a bit bored of reading Villette, Um mostly because I don't think it's, uh, I think it's a better written book than Jane Eyre, but it's, it doesn't have a particularly compelling narrator. So, mm. <coughs> sorry, I'm just going to keep coughing. No, I'm Thanks. It's just I'm at that tickly throat stage, you know, where you just can't stop. Yeah, vodka um, is the answer, or whiskey. Yeah, perhaps I need to get some alcohol <laughs> down me. Um, and it's, yeah, like I can really love an author and really enjoy being in their world, but I think after a time, I, I just want something different. And I'm like, yeah, as a child, I used to love reading the same authors again and again. Sometimes I'd just read the same book over and over again. yeah. And, yeah. Like for the the far away tree stories, I mean, every night Aww. I just used to love reading those books, and I think there is a sense of comfort in that as a child wanting to return to a familiar landscape and familiar characters. Yeah, yeah. And then as we get older, I think there's a a desire for a breadth of experience. And I I know certainly for me, when I read a book, perhaps it's set during a particular time period or something like that, then it'll either make me want to have something completely different next time or I want to learn more about that and therefore I want to spread out and see what other people have said about it I won't necessarily want to to know more about that author if you see what I mean well I will but just not immediately yeah 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 I think something that might be an exception for me um is if it's in a series then I'll just want I'll try yeah. and try to get onto the next one before I've forgotten <laughs> what happened in the first one although having said that um Listeners may remember that a while ago we did the first of the um, Casulet Chronicles books and the first of the Foresight Saga books in an episode. And since then I've read nothing else by <laughs> those authors um, and indeed have forgotten most of what happened in those books. So I would have to. That's a shame, yeah. Simon. I can't believe that you didn't want to read more of the Foresight ones. Uh, no, the Casulet ones. I love those so much. I, know. I mean, I definitely do want to read both of more of both of them, um, but it was a case of not wanting to do it straight away. Um, we see with the Cuzzlet ones, that was one occasion where I so loved the world that I didn't want to leave it, so I did read them all. Yeah, and I suppose you're not going to get sick of them if it's a, because you are just reading to... It's, it's basically like one enormous novel, isn't it? So, um, yeah. It's a series. Um, I'm trying to think, when I have done that, I definitely did that with the L-Shaped Rune trilogy. Every, every time I've read it, I've just wanted to keep going, even though I know what happens next. But I say every time, I've only read them three times, but still. Um, and in fact, most... times, actually. For me, it's quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just read, I'm going to get you to read the L shape room one day. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> most recently, I've done it with Albert the Dragon, <laughs> but then to go last time, so I I dug out my Albert the Dragon stories, who the books by Rosemary Weir. I've never heard of this. I've never heard of Albert the Dragon. My nephew's called Albert and nothing's ever called Albert. I need to get those for him. You do. They're wonderful. So I don't know where my parents found them. And I've got a feeling we only actually had Further Adventures of Albert the Dragon, which was the second one. And there are five, I think. 
because um, I've just been rereading them, and they, you know they're very very sh- short. Um, and I remembered all the stories in Further Adventures of Albert the Dragon, but not in the first one. So Dragon Dragon Albert is um, a vegetarian dragon who um, befriends a small boy, <laughs> and they they have amusing adventures and it is quite witty and quentin blake did the illustrations of the first oh. two or three books before he, someone took over who just pretended to be in quentin blake basically they're very obviously <laughs> trying to look like him um but he yeah oh it's lovely and when he gets cross he starts blowing fires he tries not to and all that sort of thing it's very sweet and i think deep down he's probably the reason i'm vegetarian <laughs> but, oh um, that's <laughs> nice though. yeah they're out According to Amazon, they are, and in fact, the first one is very hard to find. But the other ones are easier to find, I think. I bought, I bought them up a few. Well, I bought Albert the Dragon a few years ago, probably about ten years ago, and then I bought the rest of the series recently because I decided to go and revisit them, and also take off quite a lot of books of my century of books quite quickly. (laughs) (laughs) But um. Yes, I think if they were adult-sized novels, then I probably wouldn't have binge read them in the way that I have because it takes about half an hour to read one of them. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, I should have to try and track them down. Yeah, I do. Oh. Yes, I mean, Albert's come back into fashion as a name, hasn't it? So he should be... Yeah, well, my Albert's seven now, so... Oh, he perfect. Was, he, was, he was very unfashionable when he was... <laughs> he's, a, he's a trendsetter. He is a trendsetter. <laughs> my little man. He's very... He's very... Uh, um, we don't call him Albert, though. We call him Albie. Oh, Albie, not Bertie. No. I don't know why we never called him Bertie. It just always was Albie. Mm. Yeah. There we go. We digress. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, uh, yes. Yeah, seven is a good age for these books. He'd enjoy them. Okay. Well, if I can find them, I yeah. shall find them. I'm just trying to think of... Um, I know, like, for example, there are plenty of authors who I haven't read all of their stuff straight away. Not because I haven't wanted to, because I love their books, but because I'm... I don't want, I don't want to finish. So, um, people like Barbara Pym, I'm still eking her out. I'll let mm-hmm. myself read two books of hers a year at most. Dorothy Whipple, I managed to spread out over quite a long period of time. Um, who else have I spread out? Um, I still haven't read all of Elizabeth Taylor. I'm spreading her out as much mm-hmm. as I can. I have all of her books. I still haven't read all of Elizabeth Bowen because I don't want to finish her either. Um, and it feels a bit silly because I think, well, you know, you could just reread. Um, but it's not the same, is it? It's yeah. not the same. Like, I'd like to know that there's still new stories out there. And that's one of the saddest things for me about Jane Austen is that she wrote so few books and I've read everything. And I like, I just think, well, there's nothing new. This is the reason that I've still never read um, Sanderton or The Watsons. I have read Lady Susan. But yes, the other two I just thought... I, I can't live in a world where I've read everything that Jane Austen wrote. So <laughs> <laughs> eventually, I imagine I will live in that world. But uh, um, I guess I was lucky that most of the authors that I first fell in love with as an adult were extremely prolific. So um, mm. things like E.M. Delafield, I've read, I think, about 28 of her books, and I still haven't read all of them. So there's, yeah, there's A.M. and I think I have read everything that you can get that doesn't cost, like, a thousand pounds. So there's, there's a few... <laughs> You know, a few short books or pamphlets or things that you can't get hold of, which, well, I can't yeah. get hold of. <laughs> um, and I think I read everything else in about two years, in 2002, 2004 sort of time. <laughs> um, but, yes, yeah, so there are definitely some authors I've I've kept um, kept back in that way. 
Oh, in fact, Virginia Woolf as well. I've not read Night and Day because I don't want to read oh. everything. But I, I guess with her writing, it's so not plot-driven that it doesn't really matter in the same way if you run out of them, I guess. Or well, doesn't feel like it does. Um, hmm. um, although, yes, thinking of authors I have not read all of, but been read in one year, Beverly Nichols last year, I did read an awful lot of him. Um, but I think something that helped there was because his books are so varied, because there's, there's novels and non-fiction and interviews and all sorts, so it didn't feel like I was reading the same book over and over again. No. Do you think, though, there's a danger if you read all of somebody at once, you can get sick of them and then never want to go back to them? Um, I definitely think it's a possibility, although I can't think of any examples of me doing it. Have you done it? Yes, I remember. I think I've talked about this before. I read all of them, like a lot of Anne Tyler books. Oh, yeah. um, and then got bored and never went back to them. Um, and I think there have been, I can't think of any specific examples, but I know I've done this in the past where I've become obsessed with somebody and read everything and then got kind of sick, read, read, then read one book that didn't resonate with me as well as the others for some reason. And then I have then given up on them and never really had that taste for them again or I've tried going back to them later on and then found that I didn't see the magic in them anymore and, and I think it must have been a particular stage of life I was in or something yeah, like yeah. that made me attracted to them and now it doesn't and um, I find that a bit disappointing really especially when you've got really fond memories of loving an author and then finding something new by them and thinking oh yes this is brilliant you know I found something different and then you read it and think oh this is actually not what I thought it was. Yes, I've definitely had author like Rose McCauley. I think is an example of an author that I really love. The first two books I read by her, and since then I've read some that I just don't like at all, and some that um, I didn't mind. But I was think, thinking like, was that original magic? They're just you know a mistake. <laughs> I don't know, was it? Yeah. And Edith Olivier, the same. I love the Love Child, and all the other novels I've read by her have been fairly mediocre. Um, I did keep going with quite a lot of those because I had to read them for my default, but, um, but it did, yes, I love The Love Child so much, so it was just, it sort of tarnished that a bit by thinking, oh, she wasn't this great discovery in terms of the rest of her writing. No, it's a shame, um, isn't it? Especially when you've read somebody and then you think, oh, brilliant, I found a new author I love, and then you go to their next book and think, oh, actually, she was a bit of a, well, they were a bit of a one-hit wonder. Although in some ways that's worse if you don't binge, if you, if you save one on your shelf for years yes. and think, now I can finally, I'm going to treat myself and read this book and think, oh, it's actually not very good. So maybe you're damned if you do and damned if you don't in that situation. <laughs> well, I know. I mean, the thing is, no matter what you do, there's bound to be some element of disappointment, isn't there? Yeah, it's true. Like, maybe this is just what we're trying to do is prevent disappointment the whole time, but perhaps we just need to just take more risks, Simon. Pull the band-aid off. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, my, my reading has not been particularly risky of late. But actually, well, this, this Marcelo Figueres is quite different. I, that's very, and I also think doing Century of Books is quite risky because, in many ways, you're just choosing a book based on the year of its publication. It's not necessarily something that you would ordinarily really want to read. I mean, I know it's on your shelf already, but. You know, you don't buy books necessarily based on wanting to read them all the time. <laughs> all the time, it's true. Um, yes, and I think that's going to be increasingly the case as the year goes on and, and the number of years available to me get crossed off. <laughs> so, yes, yeah. by the end of the year, when I 
having to read things from the 1970s. It's all gonna, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see what happens then. Uh, may, you may hear me in a state of nervous collapse come December, <laughs> <laughs> or I'll just find more children's books to read. We'll see. Yeah. Oh dear. Um. So yes, what will you decide between saving and binging? I think I'll still always prefer to save. I just like psychologically to know that I've got something waiting. Yes, I think I'm the same. I think the pros that way, the cons with saving. Yeah. 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 That's nice. Okay, so our next two books are um yeah, and again I think I suggested this as well. I'm getting good. You're on fire. I am. Um, which is The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turton. Um, and this was published this year, so it's very recent. And then The Murder of Roger Ackroyd by Agatha Christie, which, I mean, it must be 1940s. 1926. No. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah, it was one of her earliest books. Well, there we are, 1926. So I would say that The Murder of Roger Ackroyd is probably a classic of the... Oh, definitely. Murder yeah, yeah. genre uh, for several reasons. Oh, but can I just say now, are we going to talk about the ending or are we not? What's, how are we going to do this? I, I feel like we shouldn't. Let's start out saying that we won't, and if we do feel we need to, we'll put loads of disclaimers in front of it so you can stop listening okay. if you don't know already. Because I think okay. if people don't know, then it's such a treat to read it without knowing. Yeah, okay. Agreed. Um. So which one do you want to introduce, Simon? Oh, right, yes. Um... Oh, I don't really mind. Should I do? Should I do the Agatha Christie because I've just read it? If I've okay. just read both of them, but still, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yes, it was her sixth novel, I think, one of her early novels. It's the third novel featuring Hercule Poirot, um, and it's narrated by Doctor Shepherd. And you will not be surprised to learn that Roger Ackroyd is murdered in it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, he, um, the narrator, lives with his sister Caroline, who's a village busybody and their next door neighbor is uh Poirot who's moved there a year before but they don't know very much about him yet indeed they think he's probably a retired hairdresser <laughs> and then <laughs> um there's a family of intrigue R- Roger Ackroyd is found stabbed in his library he's his suspicion instantly falls on the household which includes his son and his secretary and his butler and um, there's also a mysterious visiting um man who the narrator bumps into when he's coming out of an appointment there and we're not quite sure who he is. Um, there's all sorts of twists and turns, but obviously in the end, Okupuaru solves, solves the problem and tells everyone who did it. Um, I think that's yeah. probably as much as I need to say about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For now. Yes. There's more, uh, yes, a little more complicated um, than what you have to describe. <laughs> no, no, it's very complicated. I'm going to try and, um, explain it as simply as I can so the concept of the seven deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle is uh, you start the book with the main character whose name you don't yet know um, who is in a forest he doesn't know how he got there or who he is um, and he thinks that he's he's heard somebody just being murdered so and then somebody slips a compass into his pocket and tells him to go um west or east i can't remember which way um and and he he doesn't know who this person is and he can't see them again and he makes his way back to the house and everybody's seems unconcerned the fact that he's saying that someone's just been murdered and they're also calling him sebastian and he knows that's not his name but he doesn't know what his real name is um and then he goes upstairs to his room um and it's not his room and he looks in the 
mirror and it's not his face and but he doesn't still can't remember who he actually is um so this is the start of the whole concept it's all very confusing both for him and also for the reader (laughs) it's really what is going on um and he's in this big kind of dilapidated mansion house and it soon transpires there's this big house party going on um and evelyn hardcastle is the daughter of the lord and lady of the house who we never really meet um and that night at dinner or i think i can't remember drinks or something um he is greeted by this figure who's wearing a plague mask he's called the plague doctor um he tells him that um he is going he's been asked to come to this house he's trapped in this house um in order to solve the mystery of the murder of Evelyn, which will happen at 11 o'clock every night until he can work out who kills her. And at at the end of every day, if he hasn't worked out who's killed her by 11 o'clock at night, the time of her murder, he'll wake up, the day will start all over again, and he'll wake up in the body of another of the house guests. But he'll retain the memories of the previous day so he'll be able to help each other so it's one of these stories that's kind of totally messes with your mind because (laughs) he leaves himself clues and that he can pick up during the course of his other days because he can anticipate what's going to happen and what you soon understand is that he's been in a loop for about 30 years of doing this every day um, and he's desperate to escape but he doesn't know who he is or why he's there um and there's also the fact that this party has been called for has been arranged um to kind of commemorate the murder of the the family's young son um 10 years previously and all the people who were there at the time of the previous um murder are there at this party um and yet we don't really know who's murdered this child why they're celebrating it it's all very strange um and there's definitely more than one mystery going on to solve so it's uh yeah it's a very multi-layered and kind of book that i feel i feel like you have to read it all in one go otherwise it just gets too complicated to hold together uh, yes, listeners may recall that a couple of episodes ago, Rachel uh, talked about how, how great it was, and I was instantly hooked and felt like I had to read it, and I think a few other listeners did as well. Um, and yeah, I thought it was such a brilliant and unusual concept. Um, I didn't read it all in one go because it's about 500 pages. <laughs> um, it is very comp- compelling and, you know, a page turner, but I don't read as fast as you, so I didn't manage that. <laughs> um, and I did feel that I should have it definitely would be ideal if I could have done because I was quite confused as my messages to you attested. <laughs> it's like, explain this to me. Um, I definitely got confused at one point because we're, we're told also fairly early on that there are other people who are also repeating the same day. Yeah. I thought there was like a chain of eight people all going through these different people on different days, but it turns out it's just him every day. So, yeah. <laughs> so I thought when he was looking around seeing somebody else as Sebastian later in the week that it was, that it was somebody else, but it's in fact just the shadow yeah. of what he was doing earlier in the week, yeah. etc. which made things a lot easier to work out because there were suddenly seven fewer people I had to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do think that the original idea of that, that, of him waking up in these different bodies each day was so brilliant that he sh- perhaps should have left it at that. I don't think. Right. That he adds quite a few other complexities that are brilliantly thought out as well, and it's all, it definitely feels 
like it is consistent and I feel like there must, there must be a lot of planning, a lot of graphs and <laughs> charts and things. Yeah. Um, and I certainly didn't feel that he'd slipped up or that it didn't make, um, sense with the internal logic of the novel. But, but I, I do feel like it maybe just overegged the pudding of it. Did you feel that or did you think it worked, or it was all the right amount of complexity? No, I agree. And I, I didn't like the ending, I have to say. Mm, mm. I thought that it was unrealistic, um, and slightly unconvincing. Um, but the, and I do find a lot with books like this that are quite high concept that they do tend to unravel a bit towards the end because I think it is quite difficult to, to give a compelling reason for this sort of thing to happen. Um, but I think if you can suspend your disbelief, it does work quite well. And I did like the fact that there were about three mysteries going on at once because I think it's actually impossible to solve it yourself. Because there's information that you're just not given. Yes, that's true. And I think that's a distinction with Agatha Christie that in almost all her books, there's a few at the end that doesn't that aren't so good. The clues are there, and this is one of them. Like the clues yeah. are there. Um again I won't say what the ending was, but um but there is um yeah, there's the sections that they actually refer to at the end saying basically saying the clues were there. Like, I wasn't being yeah. unfair to if you. you were, but, if yeah. you were paying attention, you should have yeah. been that kind of thing, yeah. Whereas uh, I think with this one, I don't think he wants you to to be able to work it out. No, and I did feel, in fact, that... Uh, I, I don't know if it's the end of this one either, but um, that the end couldn't quite um, live bear the weight of what went before. Like, there's a bit of a... No. There's, there's a couple solutions of things, and, and, and one of the solutions, I just feel like... It, it was too inconsequential for the amount of stuff that had come before it. And I, I think it would have been very hard to to create an ending to this sort of book that would have felt like it justified all of the complexity and all of yeah. the different ideas that were happening beforehand. Because ultimately, in, you know, in the Occupier, in, in Standard Agatha Christie, who did the murder is the whole story. And that is, you yeah. know, that is, when you find that out, you're like, okay, that's great. In this one, you've got, why is he there? What's happening? Who are these other people? Why are they there? And also, who did the murder? And and yeah. and the who did the murder? You just sort of don't really care about as much at that no. point. And indeed, the why are they there? Things I feel like they that didn't quite work as well. Like there wasn't enough there. I don't know. I think it's just such a brilliant idea that it's hard to live up to how, how great the idea was. Although I think largely it did. I really, I thought it was really good. Yeah, I think um, I think he didn't need all of the. I didn't think he needed all of it. And I, I think that um, I, I did think that the, he tries to give an overarching reason for everything. And I, as you say, I think it was impossible to give an overarching reason that would have felt right uh, to justify the purposes of, of it all. And I think that was the only full step in the whole thing for me. Um, I do think, though, he's setting it up. I mean, I could be wrong, but it feels to me like he's setting up for a series of of similar books set in, okay. set in different worlds. Like they do mention at the end, uh, towards the end, that you know this there's a it, this is also happening in other places, and so it made me think, oh, okay, is he going to write another one set somewhere else next time? And yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't, I didn't think, I didn't uh, pick up on that. I mean, obviously, I saw that it was you know this world is replicated elsewhere, but um, I wonder if it would work again, or if it's so high concept, it's a sort of only succeeds once. Would you read another one that was sort of based on a vaguely similar idea? Um, 
I don't know if I would because I've I don't know. I mean, I did really enjoy reading this one, but I enjoyed the part of it was enjoying the novelty of it and yeah, trying exactly, to wrap yeah. my head around like, hang on a minute, okay, so what day are we on? And did it, did he do that or is that person him? Um, and I think once you're kind of wised up to what's going on, I don't think you would enjoy it as much. But you know, if he came up with you know, a different setting with more with interesting characters, then I don't know, I'd probably give it a try. I'd, hmm. I'd say no. Um, I have to be in a certain sort of mood to read stuff like this, though. Especially yeah, I have to read it all in one go because otherwise I lose track and then I'm like, I can't remember things and I, I get confused. So I have to, I have to do it all in one go. Well, it's lucky that I read quickly enough to enable yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the swing of clues I liked the bit in the acknowledgements at the end where I can't remember who he was saying as to his editor or something something about how thanks for pointing out that putting in clues and recapping plot events isn't a weakness um, <laughs> and I thought it was great because although I don't think you could work it out I did like it had I think a really well judged amount of plot recap so yes. when, when enough is somebody's going on when you're on the, you know, the fifth character or something and you're trying to work out what's going on he'll in a way that doesn't feel repetitive, we'll just yeah. get you up to speed with what's happened and what's going on at different, to different people at that time of day, etc. Um, and it does, whilst it is complex, I think he does a really good job with the amount of things going on of not leaving the reader adrift. Yeah. Um, and it must be really hard when you're writing that and he knows the, everything inside out to then to try and work out what the reader's likely to be thinking or knowing at that point. Yeah, exactly. And it is difficult because I think... You know, you're assuming that people are going to follow, and yeah, yeah. something like that is quite hard to follow. I, I just, I can't even begin to imagine how he, he, number one, came up with the idea. Number two, kept it all straight in his own head. Number three, managed to write it all without uh, slipping up somewhere and making a mistake. Mm. Or mm. I'm sure maybe there is something in there that somebody, you know, the type of people who spot things on film. Yeah. <laughs> um, would would find but I mean it was very impressive the only thing you know that I felt a bit disappointed by was not well two things the ending and also the fact that I don't feel that I could I could figure it out for myself and that's something I quite like about Agatha Christie is I like kind of as I go along thinking oh I think it's you because of this and I can spot clues and, and then you can feel really clever with yourself at the end yeah, without, without giving it away, did when you read it, which was a year or two ago, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Did you did you work it out? Was it was it? Do you guess? Absolutely no idea, and that's why I loved it so much because I got to the end, literally gasped out loud, and was like, "Oh my goodness, I can't." Yeah. Um, and this has been interesting because although I, I recommended it to you, I had not read it. <laughs> um, I did know what happened, and it's the first time I've read Nagatha Christie knowing who the murderer is. Oh so you already knew yeah well because it's I don't, I don't remember how I knew because I hadn't even seen an adaptation of it it's just one of those if you read enough about detective fiction it's one of those famous novels I guess um, and so I knew uh, which is why I hadn't read it before I just thought there's no point reading it if I already know so I wasn't shocked but it was a really interesting experience reading an Agatha Christie and knowing the outcome because I've never reread any of her books I've never read any that I've seen before the film or whatever um, so it it was really interesting seeing where she's laid the clues and things because because although she I think she does you don't pick up on all of them certainly if you're reading it without knowing 
resist no. them. I could, I could, um, and I could, it, it made me admire it more because I could see how cleverly she'd done it. Um, and it was quite fun. I thought it might just be annoying, uh, to, to not have that surprise. And it's certainly a different sort of book if you already know, but it has given me faith that I might want to reread more of her books when I've finally run out of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> because yeah, it was still a really, rich reading experience and I felt, I felt you know I felt more power because, than I'd normally do because you feel a bit helpless reading a detective yeah. novel and this time it's like well I know who did it before Poirot does <laughs> before it even happens um so yeah it was uh it was really enjoyable and um and also just I think quite quite a, a well-written and funny and entertaining book which I don't think people always credit Agatha Christie for her humor but she is often very funny yeah, I agree. And I, something that I particularly love about her books is the period detail. And I love the way the characters speak. And she always has, she has a wonderful way of describing people's homes. And, they, mm. you know, it all just feels so 1920s and 1930s. And you feel like you're on a bit of a, on a, in a theatre set, really. Um, and I just think they're, they're really good books, regardless of, um, whether you, can solve the mystery or not i mean no she doesn't create massively well-rounded characters that you're sobbing over their murder um but that's the whole point you're not supposed to get emotionally involved with it it's you know you don't want to like somebody who's going to get killed you're more interested in working out how she gets to the end and i just find her plotting quite ingenious i mean i never have i mean i'm i just i am quite rubbish at, at figuring out stuff like oh this. me too definitely um <laughs> so uh, it's quite rare that i'll get to the end and think oh it's exactly as i thought it was yeah um but what i like is the fact that once it's explained it's explained and to the point where you can be like oh okay so then if i actually if i do go back to chapter three and i read that bit i can see that she did i just That's noticed because so yeah. i was so caught up in the rest of it so i think on a second reading you can you can pick up on things and, and be like oh okay and she's quite good at um changing your expectations and challenging your expectations because she's written so many books um but they're never samey you don't read them and think oh here we go again it's going to be the butler because this is what happened last time you know there's something different about it but i think for me this book was so affecting in terms of the satisfaction of the ending because i just wasn't expecting it at all and it was and for me there was no indication at all i was mm-hmm. shocked by it I mean, maybe i'm just stupid but it was well, i just i suppose as well but i, but I can't say anything more because it's going to ruin it yeah <laughs> um well let's talk about Poirot a bit and um okay. so uh, he he does a bit less maybe in this one than in some he, or he said he doesn't arrive for quite a long time yeah um or at least we he doesn't start detecting for quite a long time <laughs> One of the few things I didn't find realistic about it was that they'd lived next door to him for a year and didn't know what his name was or what he did. It's like, that's yeah. not village life for you. They, they would have known his favourite <laughs> colour and his aunt's middle name by within a year. But, um, yeah. uh, but I, I thought he was, you know, on good form in this one. I like how he... So Hastings isn't in this one, but I think he had been in the previous two. And he, he often talks about how he misses his good friend Hastings. And I love Hastings, so I'm always happy to have any mention of him. <laughs> um, and I liked how she depicts the police in it and his relationship with the police because he is a retired detective and he yeah. 
um, yeah, he doesn't. He's not coming in and thinking all oh, these police are all idiots, in, and they're not bumbling along, being stupid. They, he sort of collaborates with them and flatters them enough that they don't mind him being there, and um, yeah, which is nice. And yeah, I think he his relationship with the narrator, who isn't really a Hastings character, he's not like a, the Doctor Watson type. He's not like collaborating with him that much, but. Um, but the, you know the nice amount of palliness, and they're obviously sharing details, and because it's all in the first person from um, Doctor Shepherd, I guess he has to spend time with Poirot for us to see what Poirot is doing. <laughs> um, yes, towards the end, it's phrased as though the whole thing is being written for publication, isn't it? It's yeah, it's like his his notebooks, which isn't necessarily the most convincing trick because I, I don't know who in their notebooks writes down every word of dialogue that they hear. <laughs> <laughs> Still. Um, did, did any of the characters stand out for you particularly? Oh, and I just love Poirot. Yeah. I find him so endearing. And I just look, I just see David Suchet, um in my head whenever yeah, I look of course. Um, but I, I think he's a wonderfully endearing main character and you kind of feel safe in his hands. And I like the fact that every time I read a book uh, with him in it, I'm like, oh, well, nothing really bad's going to happen because he always manages to stop something from happening before it does. And then I just love the bits like the the only thing that is very samey about certainly the Poirot books is that you always have that penultimate chapter where everyone, yes. everyone's gathered together. And then he's like, and it was you, wasn't it? And then they're like, no. Um, <laughs> he uh, goes through a meticulous detail about why he knows it was them and everyone's sort of sitting around looking shocked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which and I, I love. I, and like, yeah. it feels quite sad that it's like, it can't be done in modern crime or detective novels because it's too like old hat now. <laughs> yeah. That is, I think, a wonderful feature. And it's just that everyone's having their cup of tea and now everything you thought you knew about the person you loved has been destroyed. And no one really reacts particularly. They're occasionally, no. I mean, not, it's more in prior in general than in this one, but someone might just go, oh my goodness, or yeah. something. And that's <laughs> about the only response. Yes, your father is a serial killer. <laughs> Gracious. <laughs> um, I'll be late for tennis. But... Um, Speaking of not too many bad things happening, I think something that isn't necessarily a flaw to the seven deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, but which I found hard is the amount of sadism and yes. unpleasantness in it. There's a lot of, you know, it also makes me wonder why it's Evelyn Hardcastle's death that they're all busy investigating because so many other people get stabbed and killed <laughs> and things along the way. Um, always in the stomach, which are rather horrible. Yes. But, um, yes, I could have done without some of the torture and you know there's just an element of sadism to it that you don't get in Agatha Christie yes um, um and I also felt actually that I did feel quite emotionally involved with the characters in um Evelyn Hardcastle and I really didn't want her to die um did you feel okay. connected to her not really because so we see a bit of her through all the different people's eyes and I, and I did a bit after the first one which is so unpleasant to the second incarnation of him that I sort of lost my sympathy for her there um, I also found that was so. Is it the second or maybe it's the third incarnation? One of them where he is um, the enormously overweight man. Um, oh yes. What's it? I can't remember his name now. Uh, Clarendon, something like that. Um, and I don't know. It felt a bit. Uh, uh, the word fat shaming is obviously very popular now, but it seemed that the whole whole chapter was just about how disgusting it was that he was so fat, um, and I felt that was a bit unnecessary. I don't know. Did you have any feelings about that? No. <laughs> I thought it was actually quite interesting um, from the perspective of 
of it being somebody he wasn't fat embodying somebody's body he was Mm. and experiencing for the first time what it was to be somebody different I found that quite interesting I mean yes it's a very negative depiction but I would imagine to be as fat as he's described to be isn't a particularly pleasant experience especially on a hot day which is and that's what I found interesting was the description of just how difficult it was to move around um and how he felt the the kind of disgust from other people and I thought actually I, I felt it was quite sensitive in its way of exploring how it must feel to be um different like that or to be looked at in that way um Hmm. Okay. So, I mean, maybe I'm not as sensitive as you, but um, <laughs> um yeah, I suppose it's. I I, I, I don't agree with part of what you're saying. I think it did do a good job of seeing how he was looked at by everybody else. Um, but I guess it was a bit before that. Maybe I it was a bit over the top. I think it's. Um, I think it's also quite interesting from that perspective with the whole book and that looking at that experience of waking up one day and and you're not you and yet you don't know who you are and, and kind of living a life through somebody else's eyes which I think is a bit of a fantasy that I've certainly always had of wanting mm-hmm. to spend a day as being somebody else um and that's something that I really really liked about it um that feeling of oh you know you can be in somebody else's body for the day and experience life as them but still be you which is but but yet no one sees a difference in you which I think that was one thing as well I just thought was a bit odd but I was like well hang on if if everybody's met this person before and knows this person and now all of a sudden this person's not that person then surely people will notice that they're not saying the right words or they're not speaking the way that they used to or they're not as uh, knowledgeable about that person as they would and I know that they had an element of that person's personality yeah. but at the same time he was still definitely him if you see what I mean yes he definitely painted himself into a corner with that because he, yeah. he, he, he relatively convincingly found reasons why it didn't that didn't happen but there's still like this occasion where someone didn't recognize their own mother because yeah. <laughs> which we just sort of skate past um, so yes I think I think he did a good job, a really good job of handling the number of difficulties he made for himself <laughs> with, yeah. with the idea. Um, but and, and indeed, like I always get so confused if people are playing with time scales and things. And even yeah. although there's not time travel as such in this one, you're trying to think what he's doing at ten o'clock on Thursday is already there at ten o'clock on Monday, sort of thing. Um, is a bit, yeah. I found it quite confusing, but <laughs> but. but but he he held my hand through it. I certainly didn't get to the end thinking I don't know who these people are or what's going on. It all sort of settled by the end. Yeah, I mean there were moments where I thought, hang on a minute, I'm I'm I don't think I'm following anymore. Yeah. Um, but I gradually just got myself into it, and I think I did have to take. I, I think you do you do have to just accept some things as given and just be like, okay, I yeah. accept the fact <laughs> that you know he's he's somebody else and he's not him. Um, you do have to leave your questions at the door, but I think still it's a very clever book, yeah. and I, I'd love to see it done as a film or as like a a TV yeah. series. It felt very filmic, didn't it? I thought. Yeah. Um, I think it. I don't know if it has been optioned or anything, but I think it would make a brilliant film. Oh yeah, um, I, they'll I, probably I, iron out a few of the complexities. But. Yeah, and I would imagine they'll probably take out a few of the characters, but um, 
I mean, I don't envy the screenwriter having to work all that out. Yes. <laughs> um, but I think it, it would make brilliant Gosford Park style. Yeah, I'm have to close my eyes for a lot of the stabbings. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I wonder how. I mean, has Agatha has Murder of Dracula ever been filmed? It's certainly been one of the David Suchet oh, um, shows because he did all of them. Um, but I don't think it's ever been a full-length film. So I, yeah, so I guess it'll be like a two-hour drama or whatever. Oh, so that is a film-length, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, which, yeah, you can have the experience of, of watching and knowing who did it. <laughs> as long as they don't change the plot, obviously. I'd be interested to know how they um, how they did that. Yeah, um, it, would be, it would be interesting to see. Hmm. Um, maybe I'll go and dig it out from somewhere online. Um Something I do really like about Agatha Christie is that you do have that faith that when things, when you don't quite understand what's going on, that it will all become clear at the end. I, I yeah. think it was maybe there are, yeah, she occasionally has a few too many red herrings or or things that um, I won't say what the one I thought of in this one was, <laughs> but um, maybe occasionally something a bit technological or a bit like coincidental that she's not lying to you or anything like that. But I just it just sort of adds a dimension that perhaps didn't need to be there. Um, but it's pretty streamlined in general, this one, I think. Yeah. Um, so I can't remember how many you've read by her. Is it quite a lot? Um, I read most... I read a lot of books when I was about 11. And then mm. I've only probably read about three or four in the last few years. So I've, I've got a lot to catch up on, really. Yeah. She is one of those ones I do binge, mostly because... Once I get the taste for one, I can't stop going with at least another two or three others. Um, and I have already written down my careful list of ones that I've not read yet that match empty years on my century of books. So <laughs> might go on to um, Death in the Clouds next. But um, I've read about half her books now, I think, and still plenty more to go. I think I've read most of the big hitters. Although, again, things like Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile, because I've seen the film, yeah. films, I haven't read those. So I do, because I know what happens. And Evil Under the Sun, I haven't read, I know what happens, that sort of thing. So I'll have a few more experiences, I'm sure, at some point of of, of um, yeah, reading them and seeing how she's laid out all the plotting. Yeah, that's one of the disappointments, I think, of Agatha Christie, is that some of the stories are so well known. This is the same story I hear from people who tell me they've never read Jane Austen because they've watched the film. Ah, yes. um, <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's an entirely different matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, whereas I think a mystery book, you are reading purely for the plot, aren't you? So once that's spoiled, there's no point. Yeah, certainly, certainly to a large extent, yeah. Yeah. Although, yes, as I say, after this experience, I might, I might be less certain about that, since I enjoyed reading this so much. Um, whereas I don't think I'll probably read The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Harcastle again, even though I really enjoyed it, just because it's, you know, so long and complicated. Yeah. And also, you know, I, I wouldn't um, read it again now, because I know the story. Yes. Yeah. And that's part of the fun. Would you read The, the uh, Murder of Roger Ackroyd again? Once I've forgotten the ending, but I don't think I will, so probably no. not, no. And so with Agatha, there's so many of us. Yeah, exactly. You really need to go back and read them. Read yeah. them. Um, let's come to our teal books decision making. So we, I think we both agreed these are both great. But which, yeah. Uh, which would you choose? Oh, this is going to be a hard one, actually. Because like both of them I just yeah. loved. I think probably I'd go for 
Oh, no, you, you go first and then I <laughs> so go first. Be- because I think I'm a bit more clear. I do love them both, but um, I'm going to pick The Murder of Roger Ackroyd because I think it is um, more up my street in terms of tone and character. Uh, um, and I think it is so brilliantly done. Uh, <laughs> Does that I'm not really str- talk I don't, I'm really <laughs> struggling to choose between the two of them, actually, because they both are great in... Yeah. Similar ways, actually. They're both blaze a trail, I think, for something quite different. Mm. Um, I think I'm going to go for The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle just because I think it's so complex. And mm. I have to give it to Stuart Turton for for managing to write that. Oh, good. There yeah. we go. <laughs> good to have a bit of, you know, a bit, of sim- bit of the same, bit of different in this yeah. episode. <laughs> um, do let us know, anyone listening, who if you've read... Both of them. Sorry, Americans, if you can't read it yet. <laughs> but you can read uh, Murder of Roger Ackroyd right away. It's coming out. I think somebody told me that. When is it, sorry? September. September. Not okay. too long to wait. Or you can always just buy a copy from England, I suppose, can't you? Just buy it from Amazon. Yeah, if you're desperate. Yeah. yeah. Um, or maybe even the ebook is available through UK yeah. ebook things. I don't know how it works. Um, I'm really intrigued as to why it's got the seven and a half. Yes. yes, I do quite know why that would be. I can't think how that they could get away with that. No. Hmm. No. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> well, in the next episode, uh, we will be reading two novels that Rachel has read and I haven't. Um, so I don't know that much about them yet. But um, Invitation to the Worlds by Rosamund Lehman and The Fountain Overflows by Rebecca West, which I think are both, are they both about young w- women? Is that right? Yes, they are. Yes. That might be something they have in common, but we'll find out. And they're also both oh. parts of series, first books and series. Oh, are they? I they didn't are. That. Yeah. Ah. So, oh, a new invitation to the world was what comes after the fountain overflows? Um, I can't remember, but it's part of three books, and I know the oh. third one is called Cousin Rosamond, but I forget the name of the second one. I have read it, um, but a long time ago. Yeah, they're really, really good. Ah. Great. Well, that's something to look forward to. So that'll be for episode 58. Yeah. Um, but for now, thanks very much for listening, everyone. And thanks. We'll speak to you soon. Sorry for my endless coughing, everybody. Oh, feel better. I'll cut out some of your coughing. They won't, they okay. won't have had it all. Okay. <laughs> Bye. All the books and authors we've mentioned in this episode are at stuckinabook.com. You can also read Rachel's blog at booksnob.wordpress.com. You can support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash tea or books, where there are various rewards on offer, um, including getting a book sent to you each month. Many thanks to those who have. Special thanks to Randy, Elizabeth and Gracie. And we look forward to chatting with you next time. Bye. Bye.